Okay, we are reading in Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. And we had covered portions of this last week, and we'll pick it up again here. And so I'll start reading in Acts chapter 8, verse... uh, We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 8. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving, giving attention to him, saying, This is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. We see that Simon was also believed in, this, in, in the Word of God, along with the people, but the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them. And previously, i have given you a particular view of this portion. And this particular view is this, that Peter, remember, you may remember from the Gospels, was given, it says, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever he would open would stay open. Whatever he closed would close. And Peter was brought in and he spoke in Acts chapter 2 and he opened the door for the Jews because Jesus said, go and proclaim the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and then to the other part, uttermost parts of the earth. And so when he preached in Acts chapter 2, the door was open for the Jews, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and never again do you see specifically this need for Peter to be there when Jews are converted. Now they move into Samaria... And Samaria now gets, receives the gospel. And now, though Philip is an evangelist preaching, the gospel doesn't fall on them. They have to call now Peter to come down, and John accompanies him, and he prays for them, and then the Holy Spirit falls on them. 
once the Holy Spirit falls on them, uh, uh, then never again is Peter needed to open up for the Holy Spirit to fall upon the Samaritans. And then in Acts chapter 10, we're going to read how Peter comes and as he's speaking, the, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles and then never again is, the Holy Spirit need, is, is Peter needed for the Holy Spirit to fall. Any one of the preachers could come and the Holy Spirit would, would come upon people. There is one group of people that is found and that is actually Jews that are later found that had received the, the message of John the Baptist prior to the death of Jesus and then in, in that case, the Holy Spirit then visits upon them without Peter having to be there. Now, that is one view. And what I want to talk about is that there are very different views regarding this passage. So, there is a camp of Christians, there is a community of Christians and, and that believe that when a person receives Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit in total. Upon the moment they believe, the Holy Spirit comes upon the life. Now, the filling of the Spirit we see come upon individuals multiple times in the Scriptures. It says, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they were filled with the Spirit. And that always speaks of a specific task that they've been called to. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's a large group of Christians that feel that the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer the instant they are saved, the instant that they receive Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that... Believing, we, are, we, we must believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We must believe that He's Lord and believe that He's risen from the dead and even be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead. So the two crucial things we know for salvation is that we believe that Jesus is Lord and we're willing to confess that and we believe that He's also risen physically from the dead. But this issue of the issue of the Holy Spirit coming. There is another group of Christians and fine Christians that believe that the Holy Spirit comes by a second event. In other words, a person is saved and then you pray for them that they receive the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then what happens is that a lot of times there are, there, there are experiences that Christians will go through where they say, well, I thought I've already received the Holy Spirit. And then there's other Christians that come up to them and say, no, you have to receive the Holy Spirit by praying separately. It's a separate event. And then there's these struggles in a believer's life. Has anyone else been through this? Anyone else know what I'm talking about? All right, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to know what I'm talking about at some point. It's going to hit you. So this is good. It, it, it sort, of, sort of prepares you. And let me talk then from my own background. I received the Lord as a college student, as a college freshman. And I invited Jesus into my heart and I asked Him to come in. And it, something happened to me that day. My attitude changed when I received Jesus in my heart. I grew up in a secular Jewish home. And at the age of 18, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And last week, I shared a little bit more about the details of that. But something happened to me that day. I had gotten involved later in a, in a church and we loved the Lord and we, 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 uh, we prayed for people and we did campus ministry and I did door-to-door evangelism around campus and I used to go into the student union and share with students and so I was really quite active. Then when I went to graduate school, I had prayed very diligently long before I left for graduate school that God would lead me into the right church. 
because I knew how important it was to have the fellowship of the body of Christ. Very important to have that fellowship of the body of Christ. And so what, what happened was I, uh, I was praying, Lord, lead me into the right church, the right fellowship that you have for me. And I had returned the car, the rental car, to the rental car place after I had driven to uh, this new university where I was going to be going to graduate school. And I moved in the graduate student dorms. And as I had dropped the car off that, that Sunday morning at the rental car place, which was by the campus airport, the campus had an airport, I was walking back and I saw this church. And it was interesting, the name of the church was called Upper Room Christian Fellowship. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but it will in a moment, because that summer... I had been praying that the Lord would lead me to the right church. And I remember as I looked through the campus newspaper that they had mailed to me over the summer, there was an ad from the Upper Room Christian Fellowship encouraging us to to come and participate. So it it stuck in my memory. And I went up there and and I had this fellowship with them and it was great music and a great time. And then during that next week, I was praying, Lord, is that the church where you want me to go? Is that where you're leading me? And the way God has always spoken to me through the, through the Scriptures is, is by the sense of His presence. But this day, He spoke even an exact word. I was reading, and I read, the gospel, I read the Scriptures from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. When I'm done, I start again. So when I'm done with Genesis, when I'm done with Revelation, I go back and I start reading again. And this is how I've read the Bible for almost 30 years. I've read the Bible this way, from beginning to end. And as I was reading the Scriptures, and I was praying, Lord, show me, am I to be a part of that church? I came upon a verse, and, and, and uh, uh, Jesus said, you know, if you pray, if you pray and believe that, that uh, you can move mountains, you can move mountains. And I said, Lord, you're raising my faith. And then I was reading in the Gospels, and Jesus said, go and a man will show you an upper room, and there you shall have the Passover feast. A man will show you an upper room. I said, upper room? That's the very name of the fellowship I'm praying over, whether I'm supposed to go there. It says, go, and there you will have the Passover feast. And it was like this peace of God filled the room. When the Lord speaks through the Scriptures, when the Lord does this, what He does is He begins to confirm it to our hearts. You ask God to speak to you through the Scriptures, and He will do that. God does that. He speaks through the Scriptures. So that this is not just some dead word. As you read it and you say, Lord, speak to me, He will bring life. This is like no other book. I have read many books in my life. And I continue to read many books. But this book, this Scripture, is so much different when you study this Word and make it a part of your life and say, Lord, speak to me through this Word. He will speak to you. And he brings the confirmation of his spirit as, as you begin to read this word. And so God really spoke to my heart to learn, to, to go and be a part of this fellowship. Well, later on I learned that the fellowship was different than the fellowship I had been in in college. The fellowship I had been in in college was a, was a Bible church, evangelical type Bible church. This was now a charismatic fellowship. And the people were loving, and, and boy, could they sing. I mean, they, they, there was much better singing than in, than in the Bible church that I had come from. And this worship service was just great. But there were things that were a little bit different. And I remember some, the, the pastor sharing with me about 
about the need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I had never, I thought that when I received the Lord, I received everything. And then there was this, this group now that I love these people that were talking about this baptism of the Holy Spirit coming as a separate event. Has anyone else ever been through this? Am I the only person here? Okay. One person. You have. Okay. And, and so, you know, they were very sincere. So I said, okay, if you think I don't have the Holy Spirit, pray for me that I get the Holy Spirit. Pray for me. Now, remember, I had been very active doing door-to-door evangelism, sharing the Lord. Lots of people have been touched through what I had done as an undergraduate. And already in graduate school, I started this ministry to international students. And uh, uh, nevertheless, they wanted to pray for me. And when they prayed for me and they got done, they were very happy. They were convinced that I had now had the Holy Spirit. I didn't feel any different. Nothing happened to me. But they were okay with it. Okay, so getting back to the story, I go back and I visit my church back home, back, back at my former university. And you say, well, what was I doing back there? Well, Shireen, the woman who is now my wife, was still living in that town. We were engaged that year. So I went back. And the pastor of that church found out that I had you know, gone through this experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit in this other church, in this other state. And he was very concerned about me. He said, Jim, you've always had the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, I was caught between these two views. Of one view of, you've always had it. The other view is, no, you didn't have it, and now you have it. And I felt really uncomfortable. Have I done something wrong? Have I in some way blasphemed the Holy Spirit by by not believing that I already had it when I had it? And thinking that I had to receive it as a second event. Do you see what I mean? And so I was really confused. I don't know, have you ever been confused about the Scriptures and wondering if you're doing right? Has that ever happened to you? It still happens to me. And, and uh, so I was caught between this. And then he said, my pastor back at my, my former church said, I don't think you should even be going to that other church because those folks, you know, they, they believe this and this. They don't go really deep in the Scriptures and all these things. And it, it wasn't characteristic of what I knew of them. They went very deep in the Scriptures. So then I began to tell him how the Lord spoke to me. I said, you know, I was praying all that summer and all that week, Lord, lead me to the right church that I'm to have fellowship with. And God spoke this word from the Scriptures and I showed him. And I said, as I prayed this prayer, I read this verse and it was in the normal portion where I was reading through. So it wasn't like I searched around to find this. It said, go and a man shall show you an upper room and there have the Passover feast. And then the peace of God filled the room. And that's the very way that this pastor had instructed me to hear God. He had taught me to hear God. You meditate on the Scriptures and then the peace of God will come and confirm the Word of God to you. The message of God to you. And as I told that to him, he said, if that's the way that God has spoken to you, then you need to continue attending that church. You see what I mean? He knew enough about the way God speaks that he says, yes, this is how I taught you. This is how God speaks. You need to continue attending. And then after that first year, Shereen and I got married. She came out and, and, and we were in that church for four more years as I was doing my Ph.D., and we were so blessed and so enriched by that church. So I would say through our, through our 25 years of marriage, we've been about, every time we've come to a city and joined a church, we've never left that church. We have become a part and members of that church. But in half the cities we've lived in, and, and because I, I went around and 
was educated a lot of different places. And, and uh, half the cities we've lived in, we've been in charismatic churches. Half the cities we've lived in, we've been in, in non-charismatic churches. And so I love both camps. I love both groups of people. And sometimes when I enter a new church, they hear what church I came from and they get a little bit concerned about me. And then after a while, you know, things are calmed. I know what to say and what not to say to get, you, you, you know, I know, I know what I shouldn't say in different groups. And I know what to say. But what I'm telling you is that many people have a different interpretation of this passage than what I have given you. Many people think that this passage now demonstrates that the Holy Spirit comes as a second event. And what I'm telling you is, I don't find it as much of a big deal as many people find it. Usually, in one camp or the other, they are so entrenched in this view that the Holy Spirit comes as a second event other than receiving the Lord, or the Holy Spirit and receiving the Lord come as a single event. And that's the only way it is. And if you don't believe that... There's a problem. And then this camp believes, well, you guys have never really received the Holy Spirit then, so you're functioning. So all this witnessing you do and all this sharing and all these people come, that's kind of happening, but you're doing it without the Holy Spirit. That's the extreme it gets. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so here I am in the middle, and I love them both. I really love both camps, and that's who I am. And every time I share this story, you know what happens? I make no friends. Because most people are either in this camp or that camp, and they can't believe that I'm kind of in the middle and I can go either way. I'm okay with both groups of people. And because of that, may God keep me from ever speaking against a certain group of people based on what they believe in this. I am so blessed by different preachers from each one of these camps. So blessed. Shireen, my wife, loves to watch Christian TV and different preachers. And as she's cooking, she'll have some preacher on just going. And and, um, she gets so blessed, and she doesn't care what camp they're from. She and I both love this stuff. And so we can listen to charismatic and Pentecostal preachers, and we love it. I mean, there are some things we we hear that, uh, it's a little off, and, you know, we walk away. But then we listen to the other camp, and some stuff is just so, you know, rigid, and it, yeah, you know, we... Kind of take it or don't take it, and we walk away. But she loves it both. And what I'm telling you, don't let it disrupt you too much. There was a guy last spring who was coming over my house that had gone through the very same experience that I went through. He grew up actually in this church and sort of in one camp, and then he went to college and people prayed for him, and then some other people, not from this church, but from another conservative group, heard about this and felt that he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He thought he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He thought he got God so upset with him, he would never go to heaven, ever. And so I sat with him and talked with him and reasoned with him, and we talked for an hour, which for me is a lot, to sit down and talk with somebody. You know, most some of you have come to my office to talk with me about something, and, you know, five minutes, it's done. You know, I tell you what you ought to do, you do it, you'll be all right. And I'm just very quick about it. And it would take an hour working with this guy and praying with him. And he would go home, and an hour later he'd be back knocking on my door again. This is how much it was disturbing him. So I warn you about this. But I want you to learn to not speak against either camp, either. You know, when, when 
Sometimes we can become so intellectual in our understanding. But what happens is the circumstances of life can beat us up sometimes so hard that we just need somebody to pray with us. Just need somebody. We don't need this Bible teaching and this confirmation of this, you know, this is what the Word is. Stand upon it. You know, we don't need that. We just need somebody to say, I hear you. Let me just pray for you. And you know, it's in times like this that I send people who are in this state, when they need this level of help, you know where I send them? I send them to my charismatic friends. Because my charismatic friends will just lay hands on them and so pray over them. And these people come back so blessed. And then there's other times when I take my friends and I say, you know, you need some good foundational Bibles. He says, send them to other people. Not that charismatics don't get good foundational Bible teaching. They do. But I send them into both camps. And I'm okay with all of them. And I, my family has been so blessed by both groups and by both camps. And so when you read these passages and I give you an, an interpretation, that's an interpretation and it's, it's pretty well standardized. It's not just Jim Tour's view. You know, I've looked at it, you know, it's this mainline evangelical view. And usually it'll kind of match up with that. But I'm telling you, there are other interpretations of these passages. And I don't think it is so critical whether you're in this camp or this camp. As long as you love God and honor Him. Go ahead, love God and honor Him. And when that other group felt that they had prayed over me and now I had the Holy Spirit, I was happy that they were happy. You know, I still to this day feel that I really always had the Holy Spirit because God so profoundly visited me on that day of salvation. But you know what happens for other people? Some people grow up in Christian homes and they can't remember the day that they were saved. For them, it's different than my experience. My experience is, I remember that day, November 7th of my freshman year, all alone in my room. That is the day that I invited Jesus in my heart. But some people grow up in Christian homes and they never remember the day they, they took Jesus in their heart. It was sort of like a growth process. And to tell you the truth, that's how it ought to be. My children heard the gospel from before they were born. I would speak to them when they were in the womb. So they don't remember the day. You know, then they will say, well, my dad shared with me. And, and you know, the day they first say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I write that down and say, this is the day, you know, you are saved. And I try to convince them. But it's a gradual learning process. And so folks that have come out of that sort of background sometimes feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that I received the Holy Spirit in that. And, and sometimes they need confirmation. And God confirms in different ways. Sometimes people that come out of that sort of thing, they'll be at some Christian conference in their teens. And God really speaks to their heart. And it's a confirmation to them that they really know the Lord. Some people, they question it. And what I'm saying is, if you question whether you really know God, you need to ask Him. Jesus said that... that uh, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So you can ask Him. If you ever question, do I really have this Holy Spirit? Ask Him. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm not sure. Lord, visit me with the empowering of the Holy Spirit and ask God to use you. But remember, if you ask Him to use you, you're signing an agreement here. 
I'm willing to be used. If you ask God to fill you and to use you, remember, you're signing on that you're willing to be used. And that doesn't mean that you will always measure up to where you think you ought to be, but you have a willingness to share, to speak His Word, to talk about these things. I want you not to be shaken up by this. I want you to be able to meet people from a different camp and understand them and appreciate them and love them. Because if you don't deal with it now, God's going to put you in a situation where you have to deal with it. And then when you get to heaven, you're going to have people from the other camp living on each side of you forever. God's going to make sure you deal with it one way or the other. And I want you to be comfortable in that. And to know that God always loves you. He always has and He always will. He's not upset with you. He's not angry with you. If you've gone in in, in some other direction, He's not upset or angry in any way. God has that special place for you. Alright, let's pick up in in the next portion here. In Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading the the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I... How could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Okay. So Philip, who had gone to Samaria, and remember, Philip wasn't some trained Bible scholar. Philip had been chosen back in Acts chapter 6. Philip had been chosen as one of the deacons to wait on tables. But he had been prayed for, and he would started preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 8. And now he, he's told, he, so he's, he's preaching Christ in Samaria, and now an angel appears to him in verse 26. So this angel appears, it says, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south on the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So an angel spoke to him. If it was just a voice, he might not know that it was an angel, but the Bible says it was an angel. Now the scriptures, on many occasions, angels speak to people in the scriptures. I am telling you, I have never physically met a person who has had an angel speak to them. But it can certainly happen, because we know the Scriptures have many instances of it. And this is one of the instances where an angel is speaking to Philip and giving him a message. Remember, an angel came and spoke to Joseph, an angel came and spoke to Mary, an angel came and spoke to Zechariah, 
in the New, all of these in the New Testament. And we have multiple examples of this in the Old Testament as well. But remember what we said about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a, is a historical book. It is not one of the epistles where there are clear-cut propositional statements as to what we ought to be doing as believers. To take what is written in the book of Acts and to say, therefore, it must happen, is wrong. Because it just shows us it is a historical book of things that have happened. The epistles tell us what we ought to be doing. None of the epistles say, uh, um, you must have an angel speak to you in order to be really saved. None of the, the epistles tell us that. None of the epistles tell us that we must be instructed by angels. Nor do the epistles say, you will never be instructed by an angel. Do you see the difference between a historical book and an epistle? The epistles are books of instruction for us. This is a historical book. So if we take that every instance in the book of Acts should happen in the life of a believer, well then, all of us should one day be visited by an angel telling us what to do, right? Or else we're going to be deficient in some way. So you can't take instances in the book of Acts, in a historical book, and say, that must apply to me. Absolutely. It might apply. So that if somebody should say to you, well, an angel spoke to me, we can't discount that. We really can't discount that. Now, their life will begin to bear out, you know, is there a relationship here with God that is commensurate with walking with God? Now, some people who will say, an angel spoke to me, you know, you, you watch their life for a few months and you go like, ooh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of angel spoke to you. you. You see what I mean? There will be something that begins to match up in line with the Scriptures. So if we say that, that you, you know, I received this word from the Lord, that word needs to begin to match up in line with what we've been instructed in the Scriptures. Or I'll tell you, we are all crazy enough to easily go astray. We can all hear all sorts of things if we want to. And that's why for me, in my life, and I'll confess to you, one of the hardest things for me in my Christian walk is hearing God. Learning, is this God's voice? And this is why I love the Scriptures so much, because the Scriptures speak. The Scriptures speak life, and there's clarity in the Scriptures. And then we can take this, and, but we have to see, is this word really for us? You know, because if we play this game, you may have heard this before, where one guy said, you know, whatever I find in the Scriptures, I'm going to do. And he... Judas promptly went out and hung himself. You know, you, you, you can find about anything in there. So you have to be careful as you go along with this. And this is, though, a radical instruction. He tells Philip... An angel appears to him and says, go down this desert road. Now, Philip is having a very fruitful ministry right here in Samaria. But he tells him, go down this desert road. And Philip could have said, well, wait a minute. You know, these people like me. They're all getting saved. They've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just hang out here for a few years and be pastor. And then I'll go down that desert road. No, but Philip obeys immediately. And so there, there, there are things that, that God begins to speak in our life. And one of the things I want to caution you with is, is also, if it's something pretty dramatic in your life, go and speak to another believer. Go and speak to a counselor, some Christian counselor or something, and begin to get other input on this thing. 
especially if it's really radical. Get other input. Get input from other believers. And, you know, a lot of times Christians will come to me and they say, you know, I really feel this call to missions. I want to go, you know, to East Asia for the summertime. But my parents don't want me to go. I'll tell you what my typical instruction is. If your parents don't want you to go, don't go. However, pray that God would change their hearts. You pray that God would change their hearts. Because I don't want to be going against the instruction of parents because parents generally have a great insight for their kids. But I don't want to be standing in the way of that. Now, my instruction to Christian parents, so you know what happens when I speak in a general church service and there's a lot of Christian parents there, I say, don't stand in the way of your children going out and serving Christ. Because the Bible says, if you love your children more than, Jesus said, if you love your mother and father, if you love your children more than me, you are not worthy of me. If you love your children more than me, you're not worthy of me. Of me. And what I tell Christian parents is, the biggest obstacle to Christian missions and the preaching of the gospel is not Satan. It is Christian parents. It is Christian parents that want to have so much protection over their kids that they don't want to let them go. So learn to love Christ more than you love your kids. That's my instruction to parents. But your parents aren't in this class. You are in this class. My instruction to young people is obey your parents because that is what the Scriptures tell you. But in that, I tell you, pray for your parents. Pray for your parents that God would change their hearts God would change their hearts. And you will see God work miraculously. Very often, He puts us in places where we have to pray that He would change the hearts of others and allow Him to do that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You for the Scriptures. Thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray for these young people that they would not get so distraught and upset by meeting people from different camps who have different interpretations of these scriptures about the Holy Spirit and His work and His coming. Father, I pray for Your grace to abound in their lives, that they would not be upset by things, but they would stand firm, that they would remember back to this very teaching and be able to stand firm. And Father, I pray that You would so work in their lives that they would be able to hear You speak from the Scriptures, that they would love the Word of God and honor it. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercies and for Your grace on these young people. I pray Your blessings. And Lord, I pray especially for the freshmen who have come. Father, I pray that You would give them a time here at Rice where they would grow intellectually and spiritually, where their lives would come out in four years, where they would see that they love You so much more and they know Your Word better, and they want, to, they want to honor You, so that, Lord, they would have good lives. Father, Your blessing be upon them, I pray. And, Lord, I commit this to You, in the name of Jesus. Amen.